Linus. Everybody remember Linus from the Peanuts cartoons? He was the guy that always had the blanket and sucked his thumb. Everybody remember Linus? Linus is famous for a quote. Here's what it is. He once said, I love mankind, it's people I can't stand. I had a seminary professor who was once a pastor said, I love being a pastor, it was just the people I couldn't stand. That's why he's a professor, no longer a pastor. We can kind of relate to Linus, right? Theoretical, vague love is an easy thing to do. But loving those who are annoying, irritating, frustrating, people that we rub shoulders with, that's a different story for us, right? It's not so easy. Theoretical, vague, warm fuzzies, that thing is not tangible, that's easy. In verses 3 through 6 that we looked at last week, John wrote that if we're Christians, if we walk in the light, if we know Jesus, then we'll have a desire to keep and obey His commands. We'll have a desire to grow in our love for Jesus, and we'll have a desire to grow to be more like Christ. John ends, verse 6, with words that give you a test by which you can know that you truly know Jesus. That's what he's been doing in this letter. He'll continue to do it. Namely, he says, if you walk in obedience to his word. In verse 6, he says, the one who says he abides in him. What does it say next, church? Ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Verses 7 and 11. Excuse me, 7 through 11. That we're going to look at today. Have a specific example that relates to verses 3 through 6. It's a a test. It's a tangible test that once again gives us assurance that we know Jesus, that we're saved. The test is this. Do you love one another? That's what's going on here. He only mentions that word one time, but that's what all these verses are dealing with. If you look at your handout, here's here's the main idea. Keeping the commandment of love gives evidence of walking in the light, thus giving assurance of salvation. Keeping the commandment of love gives evidence of walking in the light, thus giving assurance of salvation. If you look at the bottom of your handout there, there's a statement there. As people of God, we are to love one another. If you're looking at your handout there, you see the first thing we're going to look at is verses 7 through 8. Verses 7 through 8 says, to love one another is to obey Jesus' commandment. To love one another. Is to be obedient to what Jesus commands us to do. Look at verse 7. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. John begins verse 7 here with an affirmation. He's going to talk about loving one another, right? So he begins this with a very important word. He uses the word beloved or Beloved. People pronounce it differently. John will use this word actually six times through the letter of 1 John. Beloved has the idea, are you ready? Of deep, caring, faithful, self-sacrificing, in it for the long haul love. That's what that word means. In other words, it's not a fickle, temporary love. It's driven by uh, emotion. It's determined by the will. Our culture is all about falling in love, right? Our culture is all about that. But they fall out of love as quickly as they fall into love, don't they? 
To the average person on the street, love is something that's changeable, just like the weather. And as replaceable as an old pair of shoes. I read this week that you can now lease a wedding ring. One year at a time. We're laughing, right? You can't get your mind right. Really? I'm going to leave. I'll renew it next year. If everything goes well, I'll be back to renew my le- That's really what's being said, is it not? We're going to try this thing out. We're going to see if it works. I'll lease it. I don't want to buy it. So I'm going to lease it for a year. Uh, seeing what follows here after this word that John uses, it's no accident that God moves John to use this word. God has John use a word that uh, doesn't talk about falling in love. He uses a word that talks about choosing to love. That's the difference here. He said, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Notice, as we'll go through here, uh, John's not schizophrenic. He, he says the commandment's old and new. So we're going to talk about that. The commandment was old here, and it's old in two senses. First, it was old and that Moses taught this in the Old Testament. He taught the law. It says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's old in that fact. We can go all the way back to the Old Testament. And we can see this idea of loving someone as we're to love ourselves even in the Old Testament. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, Jesus identified this as the second great commandment. Remember they came to him and said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? He says, you're to do what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. After that command to love God with all your being, we are to love people as we love ourselves. And at the point in time that John is writing this, this commandment had been in place for 1,400 years. So from then till now, how much time has elapsed? This commandment's old. It has always been there. And the second, and the main reason in which this commandment is old, is that those who are believers, they they heard it from the beginning of their Christian experience. Notice the words there. That you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. John uses the phrase there, notice, from the beginning. In the same way, he he uses it in 1 John, if you look at chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that you should what? Love one another. John means for this to be a source of encouragement for the Christian. He's not writing to to place a new duty on believers. You're like, man, I'm doing all this and now you're going to give me something else. John says, oh no. It's always been there. He has nothing new to say. It's the same old word they received when they heard the gospel. The commandment that believers must love one another was part of the original gospel message, right? You heard the gospel. What was it you heard? That Jesus loved you in spite of what you were, right? He didn't come and say, clean yourself up and don't be irritating and annoying and then I'll come back and we'll settle up. No. He looks at us and He loves us through all of our problems and all of our issues. And when we heard the gospel, we heard Jesus loves us in spite of us, right? And He died to save us. We've heard this command of, uh, this idea of love from the very beginning. It's old. And we heard it from the beginning when we heard the gospel. We we know it's there. But John also says in verse 8 that this commandment's new. Look at verse 8. At the same time, 
This is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in Him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And again, I said earlier, you might be confused. I thought it wasn't new. That's what John just said in verse 7, right? It's not new. But now in verse 8, John says, this commandment is new. Notice the words that clue us in, how it can be both. At the same time, it's both old, it's always been there from the beginning, all the way back to the law of Moses, all the way back to the Old Testament, from the beginning of you hearing the gospel, it's always been there, but it's also new. John uses the word new here, not referring to new in time, but new in quality. When you and I think new, we think change in time. Something new has come along. But John, the word here means new in quality. The old commandment, as I said, goes all the way back to Moses. But it took a new character. Love took on a new character when Jesus came. It's always been there. Love one another. Love God with everything you've got. Love others yourself. But when Jesus came, this commandment took on a whole different character. In other words, John isn't saying, look, here's something brand new that's never come along until now. No, John is actually saying, look, there's a brand new quality of love, and it's the only one of its kind. There has never been a love like this, and then there will be another one like it. Notice what he says in the middle part of verse 8. He says, I am writing a new commandment to you which is true. Where? In Him. In Him there is talking about Jesus. John says that this old, this new commandment is true in Him. It's true in Him because the Lord Jesus, the greatest example of love in the history of the world, what did He do? What did Jesus do? He left the magnificence and the perfect holiness of heaven where He enjoyed unbroken fellowship with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And what did He do? He came to a sick, sin-stained world not to be served, but to do what? Serve others. The King of the world didn't come to be served but he came to do what? serve others to be a lowly servant and at the hands of sinful men he was obedient to death even death on a cross and he did it all to do what? save us from the judgment of God this new commandment is utterly true in him that's what John's saying the commandment is true in Jesus but notice something else in verse 8 John also says that this new commandment is true in who? In you. Starting to get down to where the rubber meets the road, as we would say. You may be asking, the in you, in case you're wondering, is you, the believer. You may be asking, how so? The answer is because of what? This commandment is new in the fact that it's new in Him... But it's new in you also because now as a believer, you're where? You are in Him. It's true in Him first and foremost, and it's true in you because of the relationship you have with Christ. See, when you become a follower of Jesus, in the New Testament, Paul often describes the believer as being in Christ. So let me challenge you sometime to read the New Testament, particularly Paul's letters and Mark, how many times Paul says, in Him, in Christ. As you grow in your understanding of the love, the great love of Jesus, as you grow in your understanding of the gospel, you will grow in your appreciation of how much you must love others. Did you hear that? If you stop and contemplate and think about 
to the degree that, what's John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world. He loved the world to this point that He sent Jesus. He gave Him. He gave Him up that we might be saved. What, and we're supposed to take that kind of love which is true in Him, but it's also true where? In us. As you grow in your understanding of the God. You know why I make this statement to you a lot of times, preach the gospel to yourself? You having a hard time loving somebody? Preach the gospel to yourself. It will make it easier to love someone. Your relationship with Christ is essential toward practicing biblical love toward others. There's three ways this works. Here's your application. It all begins, first of all, with how you think. How you think about others. Instead of thinking first about yourself, your feelings, your rights, and your needs, you must learn to think first about others. That's hard to do, is it? Well, what's the commandment? To love others as you what? Love yourself. It starts with how you think about others. How can I show this difficult person the love of Christ? How can I serve this person and show them love? It begins, as my dad used to say, it's between your ears, Gary. It's in there. How you think about people. Let me give you a practical way of doing this. Make you a note. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Read that passage this coming week, whenever you do your Bible reading, until you have in your mind how a loving person is supposed to act. In case you're wondering what's in 1 Corinthians 13, 3 through, uh, 4 through 7, I'm going to read that for you. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Verse 7, love bears all things. Love bears a few things, some things, all things. Believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Another one you need to set your mind on and think about is First Peter chapter 3, verses 8-12. through 12. I'll read those for you as well. It says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called. Uh-oh. I was called to not respond to people the way they respond to me. I was called to do what? To do the opposite? That you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So first of all, loving someone begins with how you think about someone. Those passages there will help you to understand what love is. Second, love extends to your speech. It's how you think, then it moves down to where? To the mouth and what we say. Put off abusive speech that tears another person down. We have this idea, and sometimes we do it sarcastically. We think it's funny, but we like to do what? Take jabs at people and tear them down, right? The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, 29 that we are to do what? 
build one another up to edify one another with our speech. You can't build someone up if you're tearing them down. Husband, wife, parents, how you direct your speech towards your children. You're to always be building one another up. Never tearing one another down. How about stop lying or stretching the truth to your own advantage? Ever done that? Stretch the truth to your own advantage? Stretch the truth to where you get what you want? How about gossip or slander? That's not loving people. A lot of times passing along what is actually true is the wrong thing to be doing. So your love extends from what you're thinking to your speech, but lastly, it extends to your behavior. We are to practice loving deeds and actions. You look for opportunities to serve others. And this begins in the home. Dads, moms, how can we serve one another? How can we see the others more important than ourselves? Titus 2 verse 14 says... You are to become zealous for good deeds. You're to become... That word zealous means what? Man, you go after it with a passion. You, 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 you want that and you go after good deeds. Building one another up. Seeking the benefit of another. Now listen, this is, this is Christianity 101. This is not a master's degree or a PhD in Christianity. This is baseline. Why? Because John said it was old, it's always been there, and it's new in Christ, and now it's new in you. Jesus expects His people to imitate the love that He demonstrated toward us. How do we know that? John 13 verse 34 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, and what degree do we love one another? Even as I have loved you. In John 13, verses 14 through 15, Jesus demonstrated His great love for His disciples. Anybody remember what Jesus did with His disciples there? He took a, a towel and a basin of water, and what did He do? He washed their feet. Now, I don't want to insult your intelligence, but you know, the idea there is, in, in those days, people didn't wear what? $100 tennis shoes, you know, and nice work boots, and you know, nice dress shoes, they wore what? A lot of times it was just wherever they could find to put something on and strap it to their feet. And when they went somewhere, their feet was... You, know, you get the idea, you get the picture of what people's feet could look like. So when you went into a home, the custom was what? Someone would come and wash your feet. They were serving you. So Jesus does that to His disciples. And after doing so, what did He say? If I then the Lord... Who is Jesus, by the way? He is... God in the flesh. If I then the Lord and teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. You're going, whoa. Now, before you go too far, this is not a passage instructing us to add as an ordinance foot washing, okay? I was raised up in an independent Baptist church, and I saw that go on. It was like, it was like the Lord's Supper and baptism. I'm going to tell you, they, they pulled it out and they washed one another's feet. I thought that was odd that they would do that. But Jesus' point is not that we get a, water, a basin of water and a towel and we wash people's feet. What was He doing? He was humbling Himself and serving someone else. Who was Jesus? God in flesh. Can you imagine God bowing before you and washing your nasty feet, serving you? 
those who follow Jesus must set aside our rights and we must serve one another and do it out of love. Look at the end of verse 8. The commandment to love is new, and that is new in Jesus, and it's new in us, the Christian. And notice why. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. John begins this contrast here with darkness and light. He'll he'll carry this over into verses 9 through 11. With these words, John's referring to the coming of the gospel through Jesus, as well as applying it to every person who's trusted in Christ. John declares that this new commandment of love results in what? What does it result in? Darkness passing away. The gospel of Jesus destroys what? Sin, death, and darkness. Jesus came, the gospel came, and the darkness started what? Passing away. The death and resurrection of Jesus destroys the power of sin and it breaks the penalty of death. But we know that battle's not over with, is it? Even though Jesus secured victory over darkness, the, the complete eradication of darkness and evil has not occurred. And it won't occur until when? Until Jesus comes back. But, it is, but it, right now it's what? It's passing away. The darkness is passing away. One commentator I read this week said, Perfect love uh, as revealed in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus has dealt a death blow to darkness. Darkness is on the run, but it can't outrun the light. Darkness is passing away. Then John says, and the true light is already shining. Where do we see the true light? We see it. What's John talking about? This idea of love. That is the love which has come true in Jesus and in His people who have been transformed by the gospel. The light of God, the true light that is already shining is this. It's the light of love. That's the light that shines into a dark world. And it's not this love where I'm going to lease a wedding band for a year and I'll take it back if things don't work out. It's a love that self-sacrifices, that commits everything that's in it for the long haul. You remember what John said in chapter 1 verse 5 about God? He said, God is what? Light. Jesus said in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 9 verse 5, He says, I am the light of the world. You think that's a coincidence that Jesus will be saying that about Himself? In Matthew chapter 5 verse 14, Jesus says of His disciples, of His own people, You are the light of the world. God is light. Jesus says what? I'm the light of the world. Then He looks to us and says, You are what? The light of the world. Jesus said in John chapter 15 verse 13, Greater love has no man than this then He laid down His life for His friends. Then Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 12, Love one another as I have loved you. What did He just say? There's been no greater love than this that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And by the way, love one another as I've loved you. What did Jesus do? He gave it all. He laid everything down for others. The light that shines out from God through Jesus and through us into the world is a light, and it's a light of love. But the light only shines, as chapter 2, verse 6 says, in those who walk in the way in which He walked. So the reason the commandment of love is called new in verse 8 is that it is a commandment to the believer to be what? Light in a dark world. The darkness is passing away, and the true light is shining. You know who the true light is? It's you, Jesus in you, shining in a dark world. It's the message of love. There is a gospel. 
there is a message of love to a lost and dying world. When John says that the light is already shining, he means that it is new. It came first in Christ, and now John commands that it come in the life of every believer. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Love one another as I've loved you. Look at verses 9 through 11. Your handout says there, (coughs) Love is inseparable from light, and hate is inseparable from darkness. Look at verse 9. Whoever says... We've heard that before, have we not? Whoever says points us to those who do not love others in a sacrificial way. Whoever says... John's very clear that there are those who do not love. Instead, they what? They hate. They're not in the light. They're still in darkness. John's applying the test of supernatural love. What do I mean by supernatural love? It's a love that results from being born again. That's what a supernatural love is. It's to those who claim to be Christians. Notice there he uses this word brother. Now, that may cause us some confusion. Uh, We may be thinking that he's addressing Christians here. I don't think that's the case in this particular verse here. The whoever says are those who refer to others as brothers. Whoever says brother calls someone a brother but hates that brother is really what? Not a brother. Whoever says, one commentator says it this way, these are people who have a visible though temporary connection with the church. I I agree with that view because of these people's behavior. They say they are in the light, but they are still where? In darkness. They don't love. They hate the ones they call brothers. They say they're in the light, but because they hate, they're still in darkness. They claim to be in Jesus. They refer to others as brothers, but they hate Thus, they're really in darkness. They are lost. Now, if you're like me, you may be thinking, that word hate is not a word that I I like to think is in my vocabulary, in my thoughts toward people, right? It it seems kind of over the top. You may think, "I, I may not love difficult people, but I would never say that I hate someone, right? That's kind of our thought. We, We don't necessarily like this person. But we surely don't hate them. But John doesn't give us an option. There's not an in-between, right? It's either what? Love or hate. You either love the other person, which requires what? Sacrificing yourself for that person and for his highest good. Because who did that? Jesus did it. The true light shining in him, now it's in you. Jesus did it on the cross. You either love this person or you hate him. There's no in-between, right? There's no gray area here. It's one or the other. Again, I think he's referring to people here who are making a profession that they're Christians, but actually the evidence of their life indicates that they're not because they don't love their brothers. They, they love themselves... They get that part right, but they don't love others as they love themselves. They're not, they're not about other people, about serving and sacrificing and loving other people. So John says they're not really in the light. They're in darkness. They're lost. You can't be a believer and not love your brother. And you're going, he's talking, about, he's talking about 
unbelievers at that point. I'm a believer, so I'm like, you're kind of breathing easy now, right? I want to warn you, not only to use John's words to identify the unbeliever, we should be honest and apply them to our own lives as well. We may not be in the darkness, but we stand in the shadows sometimes, do we not? We don't get in the dark, but we're in the shadows, right? It's kind of like Flo on the commercial. She's standing in the shadow, and the guy says, I can really see you. She says, no, you can't. You've seen that, right? We're not in the dark, but we're in the shadows, right? We, we like to get in the shadows. There are many who genuinely know Jesus, but in their marriages and in their attitudes toward the children, they don't practice biblical love. They profess to be Christians, and they probably genuinely are, but sometimes we get in that shadow. We don't practice love toward one another in our marriages and our children. Let me ask you this. Husbands and wife, do you sacrificially love your spouse? Your spouse. When you get married, your priority in life becomes who? That person. Your husband. Your wife. Do you sacrificially love your spouse? And let me tell you something. That means for all of life. I was reading the other day and uh, this couple came for counseling and the woman told the guy, I said, my husband never tells me he loves me. And he looked at the man and said, is that true? He said, well, I told her when we got married, still same, nothing's changed. <laughs> we laugh at that. There's a lot of people walking around that have that idea. And again, when that, that comes down to churches. Churches can be torn apart because people don't get their way, Right? Instead of acting in love, they attack those who don't agree with them. Do you sacrificially love others in the church? After all, we're brothers in Christ. We should love one another. When people don't agree with us, our response should not be to attack. Did Jesus attack us? What did He attack instead? The darkness. John tells us that love is inseparable from light and hate is always linked to darkness. He doesn't allow us to straddle the fence. In other words, you can't be sort of loving and at the same time be cantankerous too. You ever heard that word? You can't be loving and be a grouch at the same time. Now again, all of us wake up on the wrong side of the bed some days. Right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a life that where you live that way. I, I love people. You're, you're lying I love mankind. It's just people I can't stand. Look at verse 10. Notice the contrast. Whoever loves his brother does what? Abides in the light. In him there's no cause for stumbling. If you love the brothers, if you love other believers, what does it say about you? You are where? You're in the light. You're abiding in the light. To abide in the light simply means to live, to walk, to live your life exposed to the... God's Word. That's what that means. You're abiding in Christ. You're exposing your life to the Word. Abiding in light means you're, you're in the Word. You allow the Word to shine in those dark corners of your mind. And you know what this will do? It's the light, right? It shines in those dark corners and it helps you to see that lurking sin in your life. You're in the shadows and it exposes that. John says abiding in the light and loving your brothers. You can't separate those. Look at verse 10 again. If you love your brother and abide in the light, what does it say there? There's no cause for stumbling in you. No cause for stumbling means that the person who walks in the light will not what? 
He won't stumble because the light is doing what? It's shining on the path of His life. Walking in love preserves you from sin. In other words, a failure to love often leads you to do what? Other sins. When you fail to love, it leads you to do other sins. And John says, if you're loving, you're walking in the light, there will be no cause for stumbling in your life. Let me give you some examples. By, I guess, a way of application. (coughs) Not loving can cause you to do other sins, right? We understand that's what John's saying. If you're walking in the light, if you're loving your brother, walking in the light, there's no cause for stumbling. Example. Lust and sexual immorality are serious sins. But you know where those come from? A lack of love for others. Listen to me carefully. To lust after a woman is a desire... To use her to gratify your desires. It's a failure to love that person. I tell people all the time, men in particular, we struggle with this, this lust and looking at people. And I've come to understand that every human being in the world, whether they're a believer or not, are made in the image of God, right? And when I look at that person and I have a thought in my mind, I'm looking at that person what? I'm not seeing them as an image bearer of God. I'm seeing them as someone to satisfy my lustful desires. It's a failure to love people when we do that. And let me give you, encourage you this morning. Guys in particular, when you have that, here's what I've come to learn. If I say that person is an image bearer of God, and I am to love that person, then I can't possibly think of them in any other way. That will help you kill that sin in your life. Can I tell you something, parents? You need to teach your young sons as well as your daughters this idea. That the opposite sex is not for our lustful, perverted desires to be met. They are image bearers of God. And we are to love them as such. What about the sins of greed or stealing? All result from what? A failure to love others. If you love someone, you're not going to steal from them, right? Those who commit these sins love themselves. Have you ever noticed that none of us needs to work on loving ourselves, do we? We get out of the bed in the morning and it starts, right? We're loving ourselves all day long. We have no problem with that. If that were a command, we'd have no problem following that. I got that one. The command of God is to love others as you what? Love yourself. I don't care to tell you, I love myself. I take care of myself. I do things to keep myself from getting in trouble. I don't want nothing to happen to me. So I take care of myself. But I'm to do that toward other people as I do it to myself. I, I come to learn this a long time ago. If everyone serves everybody else... Who gets left out? Nobody. If we're all serving one another, everybody's getting served and nobody gets left out. Look at verse 11. But whoever hates his brothers in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Verse 11 is clear. If you live for yourself and with no regard for others, if there's no self-sacrificing or willingness to be inconvenienced to meet others' needs, then you quite possibly are in the dark. 
You're not a believer. Or at least you've not been properly taught how to obey the commands of Jesus. You've not been properly discipled and come to understand that. The person who says he's in the light but lives for himself and is indifferent toward others does not know where he is going, it says, because the darkness has what? It's blinded his eyes. In other words, he's spiritually blind. His life is lived without the light of God's Word to guide him in the ways of God. Let me finish by saying this. None of us, including myself, Christians, are perfect. Amen? We all fail at times to love. When we do, what should we do? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But if we sin, we should do what? We should confess our sins and God who is what? will forgive all those sins. We should repent and ask for forgiveness from the, not only God, but here's where it gets difficult, from the person that we've sinned against. You're like, I can, I can repent to God, but I can't really go to that person I've sinned against and repent and ask for their forgiveness. That's what we're instructed to do. God's intent for His people is to become more like Jesus. Becoming like Jesus, can I tell you, it's a lifelong process. Sanctification. Putting more sin away, becoming more like Jesus. But listen, those who are growing become more like Jesus and they grow how? In their love for other people. We need to understand that to have love for others is a command. Does everybody understand that? Love is a command. It's not an option. It's what we're supposed to do. It's not the warm fuzzies which can change right along with the weather. But look at your handout at the bottom. Biblical love is a self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one loved. What does that tell you? It's not about you. It's about others. And where is our example? Who do we go back to to see that? Jesus. Some of you may be thinking this morning, you know, I, I, don't love my, I don't love my spouse anymore. Or I just don't like that difficult person I work with anymore. Can I tell you something? If you're a believer, the Bible doesn't allow for you to think that way. You need to be praying for God to help you obey His command to love. And one last time, love is not an option for those who claim the name of Jesus. It's not an option. It's a commandment of God. Let's pray.